Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hi, guys. A <laughs> uh, little slow on the energy slow there, Slow rolled that, yeah. I uh, I wanted to start with kind of a post, kind of a postmortem of the Oscars, because we didn't talk about when the nominations came down. The only real legal movie, lawyer movie, whatever you want to say, that was nominated for anything was the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. That's right. It was just mm-hmm. called RBG. Did either of you see this film? Did not. I did not, but uh, we had a great review of it in Law 360. We did. Yeah, written that's right. by Ryan, Ryan Lawson. Yeah. Ryan Lawson, too. Yeah, no, he's good. <laughs> no, Ryan Davis, uh, patent guy. Patent guy highlights as a uh, a movie man. Uh-huh. I mean, he does Moonlight. actually- Moonlights as a- Yeah, he, there you go. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. has uh, training in- What did I say? Highlights? Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> he does actually have a background in um, film critique. That's true. Uh, some of his undergraduate work. Uh, the movie is okay. It's like, it was weird. It's a well-made documentary, um, and you should see it. But she's also like, especially in the last five-ish years, like an extremely- public person right and like not really like unknowable in a as a documentary subject right and also because she's a judge she writes prominently things that people read and have an insight into her mind so it didn't like bring a lot of new things to light but it's ably uh ably made i also feel like it's one of those movies that if you're a fan of ruth bader ginsburg you probably want to see it just because it's fun to sort of revel in that yeah and, and and see her in action they lost to a movie about a guy who climbs a mountain so you know that's and that's like all that happens in that movie. I always feel like the Academy gets it wrong. Free solo. I'm not. It was fine. It was just like it could have easily been on National Geographic on a Saturday <laughs> right. afternoon. Gotcha. Uh, let's so, get down to it. Yeah. You know? What's on the show? Um, well, the show today is a little bit different. We had um, a lot of news stories we wanted to cover. So instead of having a guest this week, we just have divided up the news, and the three of us are each going to talk about a big issue. Amber's glossing over it. We uh, no one really wants to come on the show anymore. Yeah, no one, we've no we've one been likes bl- us. Blackballed. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, everyone wants to come and have a one-on-one interview with me. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking the about. The three-man weave. So we're starting it off, um, and I want to start it off with uh, I don't know a uh, sort of an existential question. Uh huh. Can you remedy the gender wage gap from beyond the grave? I like this already. Yes. Imagine it. Ponder it. Is the answer yes? No. Well, according to the Supreme Court, whose opinion matters quite a great deal in things like this, uh, the Supreme Court said no, because this week it it sent back, vacated a ruling from the Ninth Circuit that uh, upheld a California woman's wage bias complaint because the judge who authored the decision— passed away before it was published. <laughs> okay, so, th- I mean, that's like a fun sort of, like, hook on the end of it. Right. But, like, set the scene for us yeah. in terms of what this case was actually about before we get to the idea of, like, ghosts ruling on it. Right. So, uh, the, the like, it's funny because we always talk about, like, whether judges, like, write their own opinions. Right. And, you know, like, they have something, they have clerks do them, and this is commonly called ghost writing, and this is, like, a little insensitive in this <laughs> regard. Uh, anyway... Uh, last year, the uh, the Ninth Circuit ruled in favor of a woman named Aileen Rizzo. She is an employee of the Fresno County Office of Education. This is like a municipal education board. Um, and the Ninth Circuit issued a decision that said um, her employer, the county office, um, could not use her salary history uh, to justify um, the difference in salary between her and her male counterparts. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's been um, very hotly contested in employment law, as you know, Amber, yeah, um, and sure. anybody who follows this stuff can say, you know, a company can have sort of a facially neutral hiring policy of when they they bring on new hires. They look at their most previous salary and they give them a commensurate bump to 
you know, get them to take this new job. Um, this ruling basically held that while that on itself is not a gender discriminatory practice, what it does is potentially carry forward gender biases that may have taken hold three, four jobs ago right. on, mm-hmm. you know, in perpetuity. Every time this person gets a job, if if they began at a lower salary than their right. male counterparts, all you're doing is carrying it forward. But the interesting thing here is the is the procedural right. posture yes. situation. So walk us through that. Yeah. Um, so like I say, this was a uh, this was a unanimous en banc decision from the Ninth Circuit. So it was uh, an 11 to nothing decision, and it was authored by Judge Stephen Reinhart, and it was published on April 9th, 2018. One problem with that, Judge Reinhardt passed away 11 days prior on March 29th. Very famous, very well-respected judge that, you know, it was, a, you know, it, short of a Supreme Court justice dying, Definitely. sort of similar, yeah. like, discussion when, when he passed away. Yeah. Okay, so what happened from there? So did the court just acknowledge that yeah, he they passed did. away when they put out the ruling? When they or? put out the ruling, um, you know, like I said, it was a unanimous opinion, and they the, the opinion on the April... 2018 date does does contain a note and it basically says that um the authoring of the opinion and all of its concurrences as well as the actual voting in the case uh were all finalized prior to reinhardt's death so they saw no issue with just treating his opinion as the final word the, the final sort of legal authority mm-hmm. on the question there. well i mean we talked about this making a its way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court disagreed. So what did they say about it? Yeah, so the Fresno County, this, the education uh, office here, appealed on two questions. One is the substantive question, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second, about mm-hmm. the using salary history to set new wages and whether that can amount to gender discrimination. But also, as a procedural technical matter, are should we consider judges or opinions published after a judge dies to be Binding opinions. Yeah, it's um, a weird. It's just such an odd fact pattern. Yeah, like I mean, it's just it, it doesn't happen. Yeah, that way. I mean this. Th- like we say, we're talking about it because it's interesting. And it's an interesting question to consider. I can't imagine it's going to come up a lot in the right. future unless this exact sort of window of time should lead to the untimely death of a judge. But um, uh, they said no. They said you know it's sort of a like a metaphysical impossibility for if a judge if he if he or she is dead to author an opinion. Uh, it's a per curiam opinion uh, opinion by the Supreme Court that was uh, sort of unsigned, um, but the analysis is pretty clear. Here's the quote: Because Judge Reinhardt was no longer a judge at the time when the en banc decision in the case was filed, the Ninth Circuit erred in counting him as a member of the majority. That practice effectively allowed a deceased judge to exercise the judicial power of the United States after his death. But federal judges are appointed for life, not for eternity. Um, <laughs> That's so, a great ending quote there. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. What? It's just a little snarky. <laughs> I know. Well, um, I don't think they meant it snarky. I mean, it. But they wanted to provide funny. some clarity on the question. Now, now well, what's weird, we right, is it. that it was. It, it was a unanimous ruling, right? So it's not like, it- and I'm glad you mentioned that because this matters a little bit. So it was an 11-0 vote, um, but there were various uh, concurrences with it that said, while I agree with the finding of this ruling that using salary history um, can lead to gender discrimination, not all of them agreed with the most extreme rationale that Reinhardt put forward, mm-hmm. and that okay. was basically like, you literally shouldn't, you literally shouldn't, um, you know premise new wages upon salary history. Mm-hmm. It's just flatly unfair. There were five judges that joined him in finding along those specific lines. So even though it's an 11 vote, his sixth vote to make that the majority I is gotcha. rather important. Yeah. So that's a little weedy, but that's um, that's basically uh, the case here. And that's where we're at. So they sent it back and it will be, you know, uh, 
deliberated back at the Ninth Circuit for some more clarity on that issue. This is the kind of thing where you expect it to be a little like a little weird case where the thing that we will ever hear about right. it is this this bizarre the one where sort the judge died thing right mm-hmm. but uh, my sense is that that is not the case here no as i alluded to this is a a huge issue about the extent to which using salary history can amount to gender pay discrimination um there already is basically a circuit split and reinhardt went furthest sort of in favor of the employee in this decision by saying, yeah, you really just shouldn't rely on salary history. It's like, you know, embedded in a in a sort of gender biased reality that is of no use to us now. Other circuits have said, no, you're okay to use salary history. It's not gender discriminatory on its face. Still, others have said you can consider salary history, but you have to do it in concert with other sort of non-gendered favors. It's a it's it's a it's a huge mess. Like there isn't clarity on the It sounds like the kind of mess that will Come right back up to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Now, and like you say, Bill, like this sort of spectacle with Judge Reinhardt, who passed away, will ultimately be a footnote in the legal history of this case. But uh, it was just sort of uh, a bump in the road uh, that likely leads back to the Supreme Court for some clarity on this important issue. Our next story is uh, actually one of my stories, and uh, it's something that if any of the listeners out there have, I don't know, kids, like teens... They'll uh, they'll probably be really perk up their ears when they hear Fortnite. Yeah, yes. that's that game. It is. Uh, <laughs> that's all I know about it. It's a game. That, that's right. <laughs> I know it's a game. Yeah. Uh, so they've been sued a bunch of times in the last few months over like all cultural phenomena. They're going through their litigation phase. Exactly, and yeah. we're gonna we can get to that. But um, they've been sued for including copyrighted dances in the game by okay. a bunch of different people who are sort of like at the center of memes who say that Love it. that. That their dance was used in the game and that that somehow violated copyright law. And mm-hmm. if I sound incredulous, I am incredulous. But uh, let's <laughs> let's let's move forward. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, let's get you, into that. Like, what kind of people have been suing sketch them? Out the, Tell us the, more the about parameters. their suits. Well, let's talk about Fortnite first of all because I feel like it's important right. to set the stage. Like it. Like I said, the people who know about it are probably like too young to listen to the show or anyone who has kids. But it's like. A pop culture phenomenon. Yeah. Like it, it, so it's this free online game where they make most of their money through like in-game purchases. You right. can like buy different outfits and different things. Skins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but but like Buffalo Bill. Like two hundred million people have played this game. Yeah. It oh made God, it, that's so it, many. It made two point four billion dollars last year. Um, so mm-hmm. it's like a, it's it's a really really big thing. Well, and um, it's not even just because it's like a. It's like a mapped like battle game, but it's also beyond like the gaming aspect. It's like like an ab- an absurd pageant of whimsy and like like completely. And yeah. it's it's like a massive online game, like a, like a hundred people yeah. play at each at each time. So it's just it's just a I, big thing where where something like this where it would be sort of a phenomenon because people are all sort of. Mm-hmm. I like your mention of whimsy because that really ties well, into how there's all these different dances within the world. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. like the dances aren't intrinsic to winning or losing the game, but it's a big but part of the, the culture. The fun part. Yeah. So as I just mentioned, you can customize your character with these these in-game purchases. And one of the things you can buy is something called an emote. And <laughs> what, you know, you can... You, you can purchase emotes that are these various dances. It's like different things you've seen people, uh, you know, in, in very popular web videos or GIFs or things like that. They pop up as things that you can make your player do in this game. Most notably, like the Coralton dance or the, yeah. the, 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 the floss that you see. The flossing. Right, right. The kids doing. Um, 
This guy's uh, farting I, on my head before he kills me. I don't I know would what's like happening. I like to point out that when Bill said the floss, he started to do it here in the in Well, the room. I did too. I, it's well proven that I don't think anyone over the age of 20 can do it. No, um, yeah. true. Not in any sort of dignified way. Anyway. Certainly not but sitting so, down talking into a microphone. Right, so anyway. Well, let's specifically talk about the Carlton dance because that right. one I, I remember. Um, that's from Fresh Prince. It is. That TV Al- show. Alfonso Ribeiro is the guy who played Carlton on... The Fresh Prince of Bel Air way back when, and there was this one scene in the show where he was doing a, a silly dance, and like many things on the internet, that became sort of memeized, yeah. and it became this little clip that was shared around a lot. Like many other clips like that, that then was incorporated by Fortnite into a dance that people people could buy. Okay. Um, starting last year, People like Alfonso Ribeiro started filing lawsuits against Epic Games, which is the company that makes Fortnite, Okay, claiming that those dances are protected by copyright law, which sounds a little weird, and we'll get into that. Um, but it was the first of many. There's now been, um, I, by my count, there, there are six different lawsuits that were filed over this. Um, uh, one was by the rapper 2 Millie over Millie Rock. Another, yeah. I, I'm not going to even attempt to explain it in words, but you guys would, <laughs> would recognize it. Yeah. Um, there's the shoot dance by Block Boy JB. And I then, can listen to you. should just, re- this should be the entire show. I know. Also, you could be making up complete <laughs> stuff that isn't real. It does and I'd sound be like, a little, yeah, yeah, that's all. It sure. sounds a little Mad Libs at times. Yeah. Um, and then Backpack Kid. Uh, who 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 floss? Uh, yeah. yeah, that one the I actually know. popularized okay. the floss. Yeah. Um, so and then this week we got we got a, a, a brand new case. Um, it was filed by two former University of Maryland uh, basketball players yeah. who, back in 2016 during the tournament, they went on the Ellen DeGeneres show and they did the Running Man dance, which was an, an existing dance, but they uh-huh. had, yeah they had turned it into this like viral craze. It became the Running Man challenge, and it sort of blew up from there yeah and um so that dance was also featured in Fortnite, and they filed a similar lawsuit saying mm-hmm. look we own some protectable right to this and by using it you have infringed those well i was right that and that's a that you've been nudging at this question to like set up this story are can you is it possible to assert a copyright over a dance I, can move? i can it i just weird, go right? ahead and say like i, I don't think so <laughs> no yeah, I, I don't think you can um <laughs> It's weird, like because you know you think of copyrights as covering music, books, movies, things like that. But they, I mean, they do. There are other weirder things. There's there's uh, building blueprints. There's jewelry. There's things like that. But like this yeah. is all the kind of stuff like the Carlton dance that we're talking about isn't like some. It's not like writing a book. It's you could compare it to like a ballet or something that's like really thought right. out is different than what we're talking about here. Right, and that's sort of the. That's the, the 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 sort of the rub here that that copyright law does extend to dances, but traditionally it's been viewed as like choreography for a ballet, where it's this big elaborate thing that oh, involves right. lots of different that, would, that makes lots sense. of part of a broader artistic creation. I mean, I don't. Well, that's like... not. It's not exactly that. It's just that it's a much more complex and creative and and unique thing that that you're creating. You, and you, you your arms back I and mean, forth, and you, yeah. you don't get protection for a note. A single note exactly. of a song. All right, you get yeah. it for the com- the composition of a full song. Yeah, it's a great example, Amber, because I think that a copyright expert would tell you that a note is a building block of right. a creative expression. Sure, and someone would argue that 
that these dance moves are the building block of a choreography that could be protected. Um, Mm -hmm. Somewhat unsurprisingly, Epic uh, has made pretty much exactly this argument, saying that that you just flat out can't protect moves like this, and that's that's why we didn't pay for them. We didn't have to. Um, You know, there's a good quote from, they filed a motion to dismiss in one of the cases last week. No one can own a dance step. (laughs) <laughs> copyright law is clear that individual dance steps and simple dance routines are not protected by copyright, but rather are building blocks of free expression, which are in the public domain for choreographers, dancers, and the general public to use, perform, and enjoy. So and enjoy, I like that. That's a nice little. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's 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 not lose sight of the audience. Well, that's what this is all about. And we should. I should note. I forgot to mention this <laughs> earlier, but um, it's not just Epic that's been sued over this kind of stuff. Take Two, which um, one of the biggest game companies in the world, they make the NBA games. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's another big online game. A lot of the esports that you've seen in the yeah. last few years mm-hmm. um, is NBA. Um, so that th- they've also been sued for for using these dances by oh, a lot okay. of the same plaintiffs. So it's a really big it's a big issue in the in the video game industry. I mean, Bill, to hear you talk about it, and then my joining you with my skepticism, it seems like. Um, Things are piling up on the side of these game makers. Yeah. yeah. And we found out a couple of weeks ago that the um, the copyright office actually also weighed in against these. Oh. Um, so it was filed in a motion in several of these lawsuits um, that the that the dance itself uh, had they, they had applied to the copyright office to register the dance, which you have to do before you file a lawsuit. Okay. And quietly the copyright office had gotten back to them and said pretty much everything that we just said that, yeah. that you know this is a simple dance move you can't register right. this they didn't mention that they didn't they oh, were asked for, for information the they were asked for information about the applications they didn't they weren't sent like the the they didn't send it to opposing counsel and that one was in the Millie Rock one that was that in the Millie case, Rock right? one yeah so they they the the copyright office said exactly what you know that this is that a simple dance routine made up of social hmm. s- dance steps is not the kind of thing that we consider to be copyrightable so that's another just check against these lawsuits so as you keep following this like what's the takeaway here i mean it seems to me like these suits are going to get shut down but what are you thinking yeah i mean there's some interesting wrinkles with the cases themselves it doesn't seem like something that will succeed there's there's some um some other interesting ip angles and there's some more defenses that that epic could probably make about Mm -hmm. like you know why they were entitled to use this even if it was copyrightable but i think the bigger thing is if you're sort of following we alluded earlier that that movies and and hit songs and everything else are hit sort of with a wave of of lawsuits yeah, i sure. think what we're seeing is video games sort of coming of age in the same way that you know becoming a, a medium in the same way that movies and books and music and every every other sort of copyrightable thing is where yeah. you know because th- this is like not the only case we've seen we like the bunch of the NBA games were sued over featuring players right. because they had tattoos on I their body, this, yeah. saying that the tattoos were copyrighted. Um, Humvee is suing one of the military games for featuring like the shape of the truck in the game. Interesting. Suing for trademark infringement, which feel, is an yeah. interesting sort of novel thing. I feel um, like video games could be even like riper than these other mediums because they're like made like you can update them and they like then like reflect new trends in the culture. Like that doesn't yeah. happen in a book or a movie. Totally. You and know? The, and there's there's so much more interactive and there's yeah. all sorts of interesting questions about when like a user does something versus sure. you. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think we're I think it's interesting from the perspective of like this is not going to go away. We we saw. I said earlier that this game made two point four billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's you know when where there is money, there will be lawsuits, and mm-hmm. I think it's it's reflective of the you know the growing stature of of video games in the culture. 
tort night. Nice. <laughs> Why didn't you say that? I don't know. It was it was a nice you 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 did a nice job. I didn't want to step on. Keep it. So, guys, for our third story, I want to take us back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Remember those midterm elections? I no. recall. I don't. Yeah, uh, kind of were a big deal. <laughs> but did you know that? Got to get on the same page with our joke answers, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know, right? <laughs> okay. Um, but did you guys know that it's been four months, but there's still one district in North Carolina that doesn't have a seated congressman? Wow, Guess what? Is it, just, is it like hanging chads or uh, a good, uh, it's good actually, 2000s yeah, election nice. Joke. That yeah. was great. That's good. Yeah. It's actually worse. Um, and you pointed it out yourself, mm-hmm. and, that, and, and, and that was also good. Yep. Sorry. This is going well, guys. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, What's going on? North Carolina. So in North Carolina, it's actually worse than hanging chads. This is about ballot tampering, just hmm. straight up tampering that's allegedly financed by the Republican candidate who... Um, marginally won, but now it's all thrown in It's question. under question because of what something about ballot yeah. tampering. And actually what's going on now is turning into one of the most sweeping investigations into election fraud in U.S. history. Wow. So this is a pretty big deal. All right. Uh, well, let's lay out the particulars sure. here. Sure. Um, so Mark Harris, who's this evangelical minister, he's from Shor- Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. He was the Republican candidate. And he led the race by 905 votes Mm -hmm. in the unofficial results at the end of that midterm election. A squeaker. Mm -hmm. Yes. So close that, of course, the North Carolina State Board of Elections looked into it and they started seeing some weird stuff. Um, In one county, it's a more rural county called Bladen County, Harris won 61% of the absentee vote, but only... But registered Republicans only account for 19% of the ballots that were submitted. Well, so those numbers just don't, on right. their face, make a lot of sense. Right. You don't even have to be sort of an expert if just a number looks so different than the number typically does. Exactly. Like, you know? yeah. So um, ultimately, election officials have been doing an investigation, and they've concluded that an operative for this campaign, a guy named Leslie McCray Dowless, he orchestrated a whole scheme to illicitly collect, fill in, and submit mail-in ballots from voters in a bunch of counties. You know, North Carolina, we've we've talked about it a couple different times. There's enough going on with like the gerrymandering, uh, you know, problems and yeah. complications sure. without you know sort of ballot fraud. This sounds pretty bad. Like what's yeah, what's so, like spilling over this week? Well, the reason we're talking about it this week is because Dallas, that guy I just mentioned, um, he was arrested. He was charged with three counts of obstruction of justice, two counts of conspiracy to commit obstruction, and two counts of possession of absentee ballots. So wow. he's really in some hot water here. Possession um, with intent to distribute, perhaps. <laughs> I, I, that's I, exactly I, right. I don't know. Yes. Um, so the charges technically are tied to work he did on a 2016 election for a different candidate and then the 2018 primary for Harris. Yeah. Um, and the reason that it hasn't gotten to the actual midterm election is that they're still investigating exactly what happened there. More charges might come out of that. But this shift into criminal proceedings comes on the heels of a really crazy um, State Board of Elections set of hearings that they had last week. Okay. And all of these explosive allegations were explained in detail in these public hearings. Well, wh- how about you explain them to us? I would love to. <laughs> so the result of the hearings is that they decided it's so bad and so much has been going on, they've ordered a new election. We're going to have a whole new election, whole new election. in whole New Carolina thing. Whole new ball for game. this. Free election. St- 
<laughs> election for everybody. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, yeah. That mean they need a new one in North Carolina for C- clearly, sure. Clearly, because I, there's a lot going on. So, something has gone on. Yeah, so, the, old one, the old one's broken. There's just there was literally just a deluge of testimony at these hearings about how bad it was. First, it was straight up election officials. They called the investigation quote a coordinated, unlawful, and substantially resourced strategy to sway the results. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't like we accidentally lost some ballots or anything. Yeah, they uh, said it was really just a flat out scheme mm-hmm. to do this. Then they had one of the workers that actually carried it out came and testified, and it it, it was a little, um, there was a little sympathy here for this person because she was formerly just a fast food worker. She was sort of lured into the scheme by this um, this guy, operative named Dallas, and she was just trying to make some quick cash, probably didn't really think through what she was doing. But she explained that Dallas paid her and other workers like her, 2 to $3 per collected absentee ballot. Sounds like a bounty. Yeah, and then they'd gather them all up. They were looking for ones that were either unsealed or incomplete. And so then they'd either fill them in the way they wanted or they'd sign them as witnesses for the voters to tamper with them in that way and then send them in in big batches. Um, and there was even more going on than explaining how the scheme worked. The kicker during these hearings for me was that Harris, the candidate, had said all along he had nothing to do with this. He didn't know what Dallas was doing. Mm-hmm. He thought he'd hired an upstanding guy to work on the campaign, and he just was unaware. Okay. But Harris's own son testified during these hearings about how Dallas was a suspicious character and that he'd told his dad. So his son said that he sent this email in April 2017, right when they were interviewing Dallas and deciding what to do, whether mm-hmm. or not to have him on the campaign. This is what the email said. The key thing that I'm fairly certain they do that is illegal is that they collected the completed absentee ballots and mail them all at once. Oh, <laughs> so he pretty on the nose, yeah. right on the nose there. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty cut and dry. So is the, bad stuff was going. Wait, on. Is the, so is the is the candidate himself going to be charged? Well, um, is, he, is he going to jail or is he going to Capitol Hill? What are we doing here, Amber? <laughs> I know. Two choices. We have a new election, A road right? diverged in the woods. Um, so here's what we know for sure. They're having this new election. The Democrat who ran previously, his name's Dan McCready, he said he's running again. Mm-hmm. Harris the came great out- local politician. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is a federal position, but you know what I'm saying. Um, Dan McCready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Harris came out and announced this week... Uh, he won't be running again. He does Probably not. For the best. He does not cite the scandal okay. because he still denies that he had any. I would like to spend more time here. with my family. His what, crime. That, well. the more time with your family is the typical one. His instead was he's been very ill, and so he just doesn't feel up to running again. Morally, <laughs> no. That's that's the question. Okay, so, well that's what he's saying. But, but yeah. where you're, what you guys are pushing at here is the next bit, which is this is just seems to be just the start of this criminal probe. Um, Prosecutors have said things about how it's going to be very large in scope and that they're going to keep looking into things, um, not only Dallas's actual actions in, in the 2018 midterm, which they haven't gotten to yet, yeah. but also whether or not Harris is involved. And one of the quotes from the prosecutor was this. They're going to look into, quote, who was aware of and helped finance these fraudulent absentee ballot activities. What so, did they know and when did they know it? So sort of Harris a- may not be in the clear air. We have a great offbeat we want to end with this week because I always like talking about the movies. Tell us all about it, Bill. It's a good one. Uh, it's a good one for Alex, I think, in particular. I feel yeah, like. why is that? 
I just feel like you have a lot of takes on uh, <laughs> on The Departed. Uh, that's true. Um, I don't know if I have a lot of takes. I mean, I have some takes. It's sort of like mid-tier Scorsese, in my opinion. Okay, so this guy uh, online... <laughs> Extremely online, should be noted. This is about as online as it gets. Adam Sachs is his name. (laughs) And he starts a Kickstarter saying, he's a video editor, and he says, I want to remove the rat from the final scene of The Departed. If you guys forget, the very last scene of the movie, uh, they, they sort of pan up to this balcony overlooking Boston. A whole movie about police informants and right. moles and the idea of ratting on people. Going undercover, yeah. And a, and a and an actual rat just crawls across the screen. Sure. Yeah, right across the balcony. In so, the, yeah. it, you know, it never struck me as as being particularly egregious. What did, what did you I, guys think? I remember at the time seeing that movie and then having discussions with people about how it was... It's a good movie, and it's so on the nose. It's a great movie. So I think that's the thing. If it had been a more lackluster movie, people yeah, wouldn't have I, taken umbrage yeah. with it. You know? Like, I, I described it as mid-tier Scorsese, which, to be clear, I mean, he's made, like, incredible movies. So sure. his mid-tier movie is it's still, still great. like, really mm-hmm. great. But I do remember at the time being like, well, that's to, a little... To me, it's sort of... Unsubtle. Um, it's the... Uh, Not that he's ever been like a really subtle filmmaker, but even by that true, metric, I was like... But it's like the Scorsese version for me of um, some Spielberg movies where you're like, I get it. You want me to feel and think this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just... It's just so in your face. So our man Adam Sachs... Yeah, uh, be- back to Sachs. He, agree- ki- he agrees with my take. On his Kickstarter page, he referred to... Uh, he referred to it as the giant glaring flaw from the movie sure. and uh, called it a painfully on-the-nose metaphor. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, well, I love all of this and what we're talking about because I could talk about movies all the time. Mm-hmm. But this is the pro se podcast about legal stuff. So yeah. how, do, how do we get to the legal part? Yeah, here? I'm not really up on my rat erasure jurisprudence or uh, <laughs> so legal, legal fear. So he wanted four thousand dollars to remove it. He was, and it was very specific. He was gonna like, he was gonna hire a guy to do it. He was gonna reprint it on thirty-five millimeter film. Then he was gonna have that digitally put like back onto DVDs, and he was going to send the DVDs out to all the people who had supported the Kickstarter. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, somewhat unsurprisingly, Warner Brothers viewed several steps along the way, which he had clearly laid out in his Kickstarter, yeah, as uh, copyright infringement. Who knew? <laughs> now, it turns out these movie studios not a fan of you copying you know? and changing their movies. Well, this is like a serious question, and I like we're uh-huh. laughing and joking around. But mm-hmm. in terms of like, can you? And the the, the page was taken down because they made this complaint. Like, is is it enough? Like, if you announce your intent to commit what like what they would consider to be copyright infringement, like that's enough to just stop it well, in its tracks. It's well, more it's even though it, even but, though it might not be clear that he has the capacity or um, even. It's a little more than just the intent, though, right? Because he was collecting money on the promise right. of doing it. Right. Yeah. And they I just assumed it was a money. stunt. And yeah. like, but yeah, so they filed a DMCA takedown, right. which is what you see when anytime there's something that's uploaded to a website that um, the rights holder doesn't want right. there, they file this this notice with the website. The website is obligated to take it down immediately. They give the poster the chance to put it back up. Mm-hmm. But if you file the formal thing saying, I want this put back up, it's legal. That then immediately opens you up to then a lawsuit. You op- yeah. Right. Then, then the rights holder can sue you, and they know where to sue you. And then it becomes, and it also becomes willful because you've so that ups your your damages and everything else. So, um, he pretty quickly was like, "I don't have the money to fight this. I have like, I I can't. Yeah, I can't possibly fight this." So, he, you know, ended ended the project. But um, no, I mean, it, I mean, it raises interesting 
I mean, he would have an interesting fair use thing if he wanted to make like a little quick snippet where he wanted right. to like say, "Here's what the here's what it would have looked like if they hadn't done yeah. it." I don't like this. It's cr- he's criticizing the movie, mm-hmm. but, but the idea arguably, of like he would be making money on yeah the on idea of reselling DVDs yeah like, which is different when you get into the realm of raising thousands of dollars yeah. to re-edit a movie and then essentially selling it to people it's I, not really that it's close also of a kind call. of hilarious to me because that's the closing shot so the other option for people who really hate that last shot is to you <laughs> turn, know turn it, turn it off, off yeah. five seconds <laughs> that's usually what I do when I rewatch The Departed I wonder if they would have felt differently if instead of erasing the rat they would have superimposed the Jack Nicholson rat face that yeah. he makes like in the middle <laughs> yeah, of the movie yeah, yeah. when he does the rat like yeah. impression they should have superimposed that on the rat head that would have been cool well i mean we'll never know the uh the statement from him ended in a good way uh he he said something to the effect of like i don't know i think maybe you should just publish a, a movie like the, a version of the movie that doesn't have the rat in it i can guarantee you would make at least four thousand dollars that is a great place to leave it for today guys thanks for bringing that bill see you again next week guys and thanks alex thanks We'd also like to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our contributing reporter this week, Braden Campbell. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. If you want to know more about anything we talked about, check out our website, law360.com slash podcast. And if you like the show, we'd love to have a review. It helps other people find us. You can do that anywhere you find podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Thanks and see you again next week.